Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined on this episode by NCR's Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent, Tamani Carriol. How are you doing, Tamani? Hello, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to re remind you that I'm also British. So yeah, we're going to get to that. We're get to that British expertise here very soon because the big news in tennis this week, which is you know weeks out from the French Open, is Wimbledon being the story in the news by announcing this week, and followed also by the Lawn Tennis Association, uh, which is the governing body for the sport in the UK. Uh, Wimbledon announcing that it was going to ban players from Russia and. Belarus for its upcoming tournament, which starts in late June. Obviously, Wimbledon crown jewel of the calendar, one of the four Grand Slams and the most prestigious uh, tournament in tennis by by quite a big margin, I would say. I read some of the Wimbledon statement that came out on Wednesday. There have been you know, rumblings of this report on Tuesday, but uh, on Wednesday, it really, really made official. Wimbledon says, we share in the universal condemnation of Russia's illegal actions and have carefully considered the situation in the context of our duties to the players, to our community, and to the broader UK public as a British sporting institution. We have also taken into account guidance set out by the UK government specifically in relation to sporting bodies and events. Given the profile of the championships in the United Kingdom and around the world, it is our responsibility to play our part in the widespread efforts of the government, industry, sporting, and creative institutions to limit Russia's global influence through the strongest means possible. In the circumstances of such unjustified and unprecedented military aggression, it would be unacceptable for the Russian regime to derive any benefits from the involvement of Russian or Belarusian players with the championships. It is therefore our intention, with deep regret, to decline entries from Russian and Belarusian players to the championships 2022. They also add, we also welcome the LTA's decision in declining entries from Russian and Belarusian players to UK events to ensure that British tennis is delivering a consistent approach across the summer. Now, if people know, we've talked about this on the show before, there are sort of seven kingdoms of tennis that each have a piece of the terrain. The four Grand Slams, and then the ATP, the WTA, which are the men's and women's tours, and then the ITF, uh, which are sort of international team events and some of the lower level stuff. The ATP and WTA both pretty quickly came out against this decision pretty strongly, uh, or later that day, I should say. Uh, I'm going to read some of the WTA statement. They're pretty similar, the two statements, but I'll read WTA. They say, we are very disappointed in today's announcement by the ALTC, which is Wimbledon and the LTA, to ban individual athletes who are from Russia and Belarus from competing in the upcoming UK grass court events. A fundamental principle of the WTA is that individual athletes may participate in professional tennis events based on merit and without any form of discrimination. That principle is expressly set forth in our rules and has been agreed to by both the AELTC and Lawn Tennis Association. Prohibit prohibitions against discrimination are also clearly expressed in their own rules and the Grand Slam rules. As the WTA has consistently stated, individual athletes should not be penalized or prevented from competing due to where they are from, or decisions made by the governments of their countries. Discrimination and the decision to focus such discrimination against athletes competing on their own as individuals is neither fair nor justified. The WTA will continue to apply its rules to reject discrimination and ensure that all athletes are able to compete at our tour events should they qualify to do so, a position that until today's announcement had been shared across professional tennis. The WTA will be evaluating its next steps and what actions may be taken regarding these decisions. So this sets off a, a standoff in the sport. This is not entirely surprising to you. There have been rumblings about this in British political circles for a couple months now, since really the invasion started, that something could be cooking here. Tennis had taken this sort of half-step measure of, well, they did a few things that were more full-throated. ITF banned Russian teams and Belarusian teams from the men's women's team competitions, which are Billie Jean King Cup and the Davis Cup. 
They also pulled all tournaments out of Russia and Belarus, I guess, which doesn't host any tour-level events, but maybe some ITFs are no longer being hosted there. As, but the players have been able to keep playing. It didn't actually affect the competition meaningfully, although it should be noted that none of the Russian or Belarusian or Ukrainian players since the invasion started really have been playing particularly well. They've all been kind of struggling results-wise in this time, understandably, as this war rages. But this, obviously, is a big step forward that Wimbledon and the LTA uh, commensurately made. And it's written as opposition. And Tumani, I'm curious, I guess, for you, what your reaction is to this news. Um, does it surprise you? And, and where do you think sort of this motivation for Wimbledon and for you know Britain as a whole on the governing body side of the sport from the LTA, where did this come from to have them be the ones really sort of out, stepping much further out against Russia and Belarus and other entities in tennis have so far. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. As you said, there's, there has been, have been rumblings about this since, you know, for weeks and months and, you know, particularly from the sports minister, um, Nigel Hodgson, who was quoted numerous times, you know, um, expressing his concern about um, Russian players playing at Wimbledon and, quote, flying the flag, Russian flag at Wimbledon. And, and you know, they, he and, and other ministers, you know, kind of discussed publicly, you know, discussed the possibility of whether they would have to sign something to, you know, state categorically that they don't support Putin. and Right, the players, the Russian, Russian players would have to do that. Russian players, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, th- this has been ongoing for... Oh, oh wow! I, I guess I guess first of all, I'd say that I I don't necessarily think that the measures that the tours have taken are quote unquote half measures. I, I guess we'll, we'll get into this more, but you know, t- ten, t- tennis players are you, you know around around the sporting world. While individual athletes have been you know kind of barred from competing, it's it's, it's most of those sports stem from sports that are kind of either team sports or sports that are kind of driven by national governing bodies in general you know such as olympic sports Mm -hmm. and so i think tennis has always kind of been in a in a different situation considering you know these are individual athletes who actually employ the people around them and who you know are kind of they are not kind of funded or you know coached by the national governing bodies that are you know funded by the russian state so this was always kind of in my opinion it was another step and and yeah um i i think that do you think let me, let me, pause, let me pause there because we actually haven't talked about that part this much on the show we haven't touched the russia stuff too much in the last couple months do you so you think that there was like meaningful i'm not saying this to sort of say you're wrong but do you think there was meaningful impact by what tennis did which was basically redacting the nationalities of Russian and Belarusian players from displays on scoreboards and on draw sheets and rankings and, and sort of graphics like that. Do you think that made it? I, I personally don't feel like that really, I, I, it was conspicuous when you were at a tournament, especially like, and you saw like, I was at India Wells, like one of the first big tournaments they had this and there are graphics of, you know, scoreboards and it was no, very noticeable when there was just a blank space next to the the name of the person or, you know, where someone else had a colorful flag and there was just a sort of empty void next to them. It, it was noticeable, but I also don't think it really did anything to meaningfully impair or, you know, constrain or do anything. I don't think it, it really didn't affect the competition 
at all. Not that it necessarily was designed to do that. But I also just think that, you know, if you're watching, I don't know, let's say uh, Sabalenka on court and you're like, oh, Sabalenka doesn't have a flag. If you type into your phone, it would show, you know, Google result would show like the first sentence of her Wikipedia entry or something, which would say, Arena Sabalenka is a Belarusian tennis player. You know, like they were still, it was just this sort of very, I think, thin cloak that they put over the nationality more than anything. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was meaningful steps in in the fact that the Russian and Belarusian federations were, you know, barred from Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup and, mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, they were suspended from the ITF, you know, idea of group whatever it's called um and i mean i I agree with you that there's making athletes neutral is that yeah that the impact isn't isn't that great but i I guess my 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 thought is my position is that given that they are individual athletes like banning them was and would be a, a multiple steps further than what the what other sports have done have currently done you know I mean, yes. I think it would. I think it, to me, it would be on par with which hasn't happened, like, which f- people haven't really spoken about. But in in football, obviously the biggest sport in the world, R- Russia doesn't have much r- representation in the top leagues. But there are kind of some players who compete in, like in Spain, probably the second best f- football soccer. Sorry to your American audience, <laughs> league in the world, and they they're still playing, you know. And yeah, you know. <laughs> so I think it would be kind of on par with that. So good. No, I was gonna say one of the biggest Russian athletes in the world, uh, Alex Ovechkin, the hockey player, is currently playing for the Washington Capitals and, and starring and chasing this like all time goals record in NHL. And he still has a profile photo on Instagram of himself smiling next to Vladimir Putin. And neither the Capitals nor the NHL have done anything or himself have done anything to, you know, stop him from, from doing that and to continue yeah. being this very visible person. And that, that is pretty shocking to me that yeah. no one from the league or the team has stepped in and there's counter arguments, which we'll, we'll get to these like, Oh, you know, the Russians or Belarusians are putting themselves at risk anytime they do anything to possibly challenge uh, their dictatorships in their respective countries. And, you know, obviously we know Putin's reputation for uh, suppressing and, you know, torturing or whatever dissidents in these various different ways that he has done. That said, like, I think it's still like changing an Instagram profile photo, I think is not a step that's going to really mean as much, although obviously that becomes sort of this, you know, visible symbol. This gets into the whole sort of optics of why Wimbledon and the British Tennis Association, LTA, did this, is that there's this idea, I think, from them, that doing anything to showcase russian assets in the way that these tennis players would be considered that and still even if there's you know of no flag on the screen or you know no national anthem played let's say like at the french open for example they do usually play the national anthem for the champion at, at, the, at the final they don't do that at wimbledon but if they wouldn't do that this year for a russian who won i'm assuming because they're not playing under the flag that somehow having these moments would be meaningful propaganda or morale boosts or something for Russia and Russia's cause in the invasion and are just not palatable to them, right? I think it's that's, to me, where this decision comes from. It's preventing this sort of honestly worst-case scenario, quote-unquote, in a po- Russian opponent's mind within sports of having a Russian or Belarusian win Wimbledon, which was a potential possibility. Sabalenka made the semifinals last year. 
as number four, the defending champion has retired. Medvedev is number two in the world, very likely to be number one in the world by the time Wimbledon rolls around again, with Djokovic defending a lot of points and not playing particularly well uh, before Wimbledon. So we don't, it, it could have happened, right? A Russian or Belarusian Wimbledon champion was a real possibility. And if they think, and it doubles, you know, Kudermatova and, and Vesnina may be a doubles final last year, I think. So these things could have happened for them. Or and if they just thought this was this was too much. I guess my sort of question for that, I I get that sort of, and I, I will say up front, I'm not totally decided on like on the merits of this decision. I can argue both sides and may have them make a lot of sense in my head. But what do, do you think there really is tangible impact for helping Russia by having tennis players continue to compete on tour? Does this meaningfully change things on the ground in Russia or in Ukraine? Um, I I don't know. No, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. And, and certainly, I'd, I'd argue, I'd certainly not when those players have, the ma- majority of the most visible players have, ex- ex- I wouldn't say anti-war, but they've, they've you know, said their messages calling for peace. And, you know, we'll get onto that even more and, and, and how, um, you know, Ukrainian players have kind of, and and I, I think like that in that sense is correct in saying that they haven't crit- criticized Putin. They they haven't stated their opposition to to Putin or to you know Russia's act- actions and in the, the invasion. But even the, just the the fact that Andrei Rublev's no war you know um, writing on the camera went viral. Even crazy yeah, 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 exactly. But, you know, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, even I'm not exactly sure that Putin would want that to be representing him, you know? Um, no. Same same with Pavlyuchenkova. You know, it, it, when she, she's, Pavlyuchenkova is probably the person who's come closest to, you know, being critical, even if she was, you know, very careful in her statements as well. And and when she, when she posted a statement and, spoke to CNN when the Rus- Russian publications carried her comments. <laughs> Parts of her, her comments were redacted because they were against Russia's regulations, you know, for example, calling um, the, the invasion a war when, when it's, you know, when when all kind of media... Um, right, calling it a special military operation. Yeah, yeah, they're ordered to call it a special military operation or, I mean, they'll, they'll if they don't do that, then they'll be kind of you know they they'll be wiped off the face of the internet so so things like that certainly make me question exactly how how effective these athletes you know how much their success would be co-signed by the russian government it's just like a really interesting moment to sort of reflect on the meaning of nationalism in sports and sort of patriotism wrapped up in tennis results right because i can even use a british example like I was, and I think other Americans were really struck when Emirat Kanu won the uh, U.S. Open last year, and a few days later, her name was printed on every envelope sent in the British Postal Service. Like that was nuts to me. That like that that sort of sporting achievement at a you know tennis tournament in some other country was printed on this you know government issued essentially document printed onto every envelope sent in the mail. That was a, a, a really sort of striking thing that would not happen in the U.S., I can tell you. I've never done anything like that, I don't think. But there is this sort of idea that, uh, you know, in a lot of countries that winning these things brings glory and esteem to the country. And I do think, yeah, if 
Medvedev, for example, won Wimbledon this year, it would be a great triumph for Russia. It would be celebrated for Russia, especially in this time when they really do care about morale in the country um, yeah. and, and trying to get people to be proud to be Russian right now when people are trying to challenge that. And I do think that this is me swinging more towards the, the Bam Makes Sense idea. I, I am sort of going back and forth in my own mind about this. That there is, you know, to the extent that makes any difference in, in, in depressing Russian morale, in doing anything that makes them less decisively proud of everything Russia stands for right now, and makes them less proud to be part of Russia, I can understand that being worth it. I mean, I did a hit uh, yesterday after this news on CNN about the decision and was talking about a lot of the things, you know, about the fairness to players at the WTA and ATP were against it. But on CNN, I was coming on after like 10 solid minutes of footage of them showing people, you know, dying in Ukraine and, and refugees in Ukraine and 5 million refugees in this country now. So I understand that the unfairness, quote unquote, of having an Andrei Rublev or a Daniel Medvedev or a Sabalenka excluded from a tennis tournament is very small potatoes next to 5 million refugees. I mean, it's almost laughably trivial to be, you know, yeah. feeling upset for these people, these professional athletes in this moment. But then it's just a question, yeah, of like, does this actually help the war effort? I don't know. I'm not even saying necessarily that Britain, that Wimbledon is saying it does, but they're saying we're trying to do everything we can reasonably to, to, to just to do what we can as businesses, as British institutions yeah. to do our part. And if, if this does anything, it's worth doing. Yeah. I mean, firstly, regarding kind of Wimbledon and, and their decision, you, you mentioned optics earlier, and I'd also extend that to the optics of, of them being associated with it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure it's necessarily just we, we want to do our bit. It's also we don't want to be the slam that had Daniel Medvedev winning Wimbledon when while Russia's at war, you know. Um, and uh, and we have seen reporting in terms of Wimbledon has a special way of honoring champions. I, you know, I don't know how seriously they take these reports, but there were reports in the Telegraph I saw that basically saying there was concern at Wimbledon that the way it currently works now with the patron of the club being uh, Princess Catherine or Do Kate Middleton, whatever her official title is now, that it would be very uncomfortable for the royal family and for the country's image and everything to have this British royal have to hand a trophy and congratulate and make, you know, pleasantries and small talk with uh, a Russian who is, you know, the UK has not declared war against Russia at this point, but it's not far off that in terms of just its antipathy currently and its opposition and lack of diplomacy going on with, with this country. And to the extent there are, there is a real government presence, to the extent that the royal family is still government and a head of state sort of way, um, yeah, I get that on some way. I mean, maybe people can't hear your eye roll, but it's it's true <laughs> in your constitution that Elizabeth is still the head of state there. So, um, yeah, I think that's just something else, too. If it's not worth it to them and they think it's fine, that's their calculation. And I guess it's within their powers to do so. But it is going, as WTA in its statement said, going against these real tenets of the sport, of being an open sport, of being inclusive, of not you know, making acceptances or rejections based on the on nationality. The WTA repeatedly uses the word discrimination in its statement, 
which is a choice of a word. Like, like, like five times. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a choice of a word. I actually looked up the definition of discrimination. When I knew it was going to be sort of a pivotal word in this conversation. And the at least the first definitions I saw all hinge on being excluded unfairly. There's this concept of unfairness in the definitions of discrimination that I saw. And then that's where it becomes the, the statement. That's where it becomes more debatable, I guess, right? Is it unfair or not to block these tennis players who have nothing to do with the innovation directly? None of them have even openly vocally supported it or said anything to sort of say, like, I'm proud to be Russian and behind this, which is a normal sort of thing to do as a, you know, a drumbeat of a country going to war. There have been other people in Russia, certainly public figures, other athletes in other sport. There's a gymnast who who did this, a, a junior men's gymnast who did this, uh, wore the Z symbol that's become sort of a symbol of the invasion, of the invaders, I should say. I'm just sort of rambling here, I know, but what do you, do you think that it's it's a fascinating position also to have, because in the last year, you know, the tennis establishment has rejected Russia and Belarus, and they also rejected largely, um, not completely, but largely China, right? And it's easier to accept and imagine tennis versus Russia, tennis versus China. There's more culture clash there. But tennis versus Britain, that's like the home of tennis. That's where tennis was invented. And to have this sort of standoff between British sort of cultural values and tennis organizations is brand new for the sport. And I just I just can't, I'm, I'm still sort of wondering how this unfolds in this moment in terms of if there would be some sort of sanctions or penalties for for the LTA and for Wimbledon for these for these moves. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was that that was certainly interesting. I, I think, I don't know, to, to, to me, this, the, this also surely also reflects how Wimbledon sees itself as separate, you know, as much as over the, during the pandemic, we've talked about the T7 tennis group and, you know, the, 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 um, the seven governing bodies allegedly working together and, and mm-hmm. certain, working together on certain things but um presenting this like united front you know Wimbledon I think Wimbledon sees itself as a part and apart from that and certainly in I don't know in in line with the government certainly I mean in this topic clearly and I think this is them kind of you know you, you refer to Wimbledon as the most pristine prestigious slam you know mm-hmm. earlier on which i'm not sure is true in 2020 when you know they have equal equal points and all of that i don't know i think that i that, think it still is grand... i mean obviously on paper yes they have the same points and stuff but i still think in the sort of cultural concepts and even in america which we have our own slam i still think wimbledon has a special cachet to it i do i'm sure but i think the ground has shifted a lot over the years when Compared to, I don't know, say 30, 40 years ago when Wimbledon was head and shoulders, you know, above. And I don't know, I, I think this this does also, to, to me, kind of reflect them stepping apart from the rest of the rest of the sport. And, and yeah. so I'd just say that, you know, from the tours perspective, I, I think it was, it, I think they've, Honestly, I, I think they've done the the correct thing by you know that they, they are member associ- member associations and that if any side they should fall on it should probably be the side of their players rather than you know other governing bodies. So I, I think they they probably have done well in in terms of questioning Wimbledon. Certainly, I, I think I I think they've done the correct thing. What, what do you think I, about their reaction? 
I think that it certainly with WTA specifically, it's consistent with the Peng Shui situation of standing up for individuals against, you know, potentially tournaments or other other interests in this and acting, you know, a bit as a as a union and a player association, which they are supposed to be 50% of their mission is supposed to be that, right? They are representing the players. It's the statement from the PTPA today, by the way. This unbelievable garbage coming out of PTPA, who had this incredible opportunity to stand up and be strong and say the players. And honestly, even, and it's not a, this is T-Roll, I I tweeted this, I said it was complete nothing, and it is complete nothing, also referring to the Ukraine twice in the opening paragraph. It's not a great start (laughs) to get off to PTPA. But, Uh, and it's also completely falls so far short of what Djokovic said, even in press in Belgrade this week about it. Like, it's not a Djokovic thing. It's the PTPA statement just says nothing, doesn't come out against the ban or doesn't say anything. All it says basically, it doesn't even says anything. So it's really trying hard to say nothing. But all it says basically is like, you got to understand that it's tough for Russians to speak out right now. And that's like all it says. And that's, we know that. No one's debating that. We understand that no points were made here, PTPA. Like, it was incredible nothing. And that's where, again, so, so then it falls to the ATP and WTA to be the sort of, you know, union, quote unquote, thing representing the players. And it's a very slippery slope to get down once you start allowing tournaments to block players or national federations, whatever it may be, yeah. because of their nationality. There really is only one precedent for this in our sort of tennis conscious lifetimes, which was Shahar Pair in Dubai. When Shahar Pair, the Israeli player, was denied a visa to enter the UAE to play the WTA tournament there, this was a major flare-up for the WTA at that point. There were oppositions in the UAE to Israeli military actions that are going on at the time, and they didn't have diplomatic, diplomatic relations between the two countries at that point. Uh, the WTA issued a major fine to the UAE Tennis Association or the Dubai Tournament uh, at that point. Andy Roddick, and sort of an under-remembered sort of tennis moment, Andy Roddick was defending champion in Dubai, pulled out of defending his title that year um, in solidarity with Pair in protest of the UAE decision, um, something that probably should get more celebrated in terms of sort of moments of tennis uh you know, uh, activism or, you know, whatever you want to call it in that moment for him. Um, and then the ATP, sorry, the UAE, somebody acronyms, the UAE then essentially capitulated and had Andy Ram, who's the Israeli player, allowed to play the men's event a week later and had Shahar Pair back in the tournament the next year. That's the best precedent. And that is the tours coming out against government for being you know, discriminatory. It's just a question. This goes into, there's so much whataboutism that happens in this conversation, right, about sanctions for Russia. And certainly it's very easy and very, in a lot of ways, fair for people to say, well, if you're going to criticize Russia for, you know, invading a country and starting a war, why are Americans allowed to play throughout the whole Iraq war? Why is other various colonial power countries, which is the main countries in tennis, let's be honest, yeah. to, including to, uh, the country, the country including Britain, right now. exactly. <laughs> Britain was part of the Iraq invasion too. Like why were those players not banned during those moments? And I do think the Russian invasion of Ukraine is uniquely unpopular on the world stage among those wars. I mean, they really only have the one ally in Belarus who is obviously being lumped into this ban as well for that ally alliance. So it's it's a uniquely unpopular war in some ways, but yeah, it is it is still something that is is different and and not super present in tennis to have there be sanctions against like you said these sort of independent-ish people for for a country's action and and we'll see if it gets challenged. I think I've and there was reports that the Belarus Tennis Federation is already planning to bring some sort of challenge against uh, Wimbledon for this. 
and that wouldn't expect it to be the last one of these. I think individual players could, you know, petition. Um, sort of what comes next of it is interesting in a lot of ways. Like, will other, you know, let's say, like, for example, in Berlin, right, the WTA tournament in Berlin and in Halle. Those are the two tournaments that middle week of the grass court warm-up season, which are both big events. And particularly Halle is held opposite Queen's Club, right? If Halle gets then every single Russian and Belarusian player signing up, then and becomes seen as sort of a sanctuary for harboring Russians in this time of being persona non grata elsewhere in UK and while sentiment is against them in Europe period, maybe that leads to a drumbeat in German political circles or sports circles. They should also similarly ban the players and it maybe becomes the first of a wave. Maybe it doesn't. I don't I don't know where this goes from here. And also mentioning LTA, the WTA and WTV obviously do not govern the Grand Slam, but they do govern Queen's Club and Eastbourne and these other events that are being held on British soil in the lead up. And they could decertify those tournaments in some way or punish them or fine them or do something to make their opposition to this clear. There's also the possibility of a player boycott, which I don't think is going to happen in this day and age, but is a possibility. I mean, in 1973, 70-something or 80-something players boycotted Wimbledon because they disallowed one player, Nikki Pillich, who was a Yugoslav player who had missed a Davis Cup tie. They ruled him ineligible for missing Davis Cup, and it created this big wave. You know, So again, I don't see that sort of, especially because of how the winds are blowing on the sentiment of the war and everyone being very firmly for the most part in Europe, very firmly against Russia in this moment. I don't see it being a wave of, of support. I think it would be tough to do. I don't know. I'm again I feel like I'm rambling a lot, but I also just have a lot of unsettled thoughts and this and this move raises a yeah. lot of a lot of questions. You mentioned like all the other kind of world events, invasions and, you know, war crimes, whatever that have gone on over the past decades. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I mean I, it, this is also a, a question for Wimbledon. You know, historically they've been the they've well they've presented themselves as this apolitical organization that is above it once. And so, is this now? I mean, the, the question for them is, well, it, I mean, it's in their in their statement they referred to what to um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine as unprecedented, which, you know, as you said, it's it's been uniquely you know in terms of the support for ukraine it's it's quite that hasn't happened you know but i I question that that use of unprecedented when you know all of those examples you gave in the past exist and i mean i'm just you know is is this will wimbledon now react to those to other events in this way is this a one-off you know i think that's that's a a clear question for for them go, go forward and I mean, one one thing I haven't mentioned as well, regard sorry, regarding like the, the British perspective is that it's obviously there've been some polls have come out, and it's it's a decision that's very pop that will be will be popular with the public. Yeah, and I, I think you know that was part of the statement that the British public don't want to see this, and I mean that that's another. I mean, it's it's an interesting. I'm I'm I don't I'm curious what you think, but I'm not sure it's it's something that should be a factor in decision make you know in deciding that you know popularity of a decision it should be the you know the kind of more you know yeah i agree yeah popular you know but then again on some level democracy is what what do people want right and so uh you know it's obviously with an election it was just polling that came out today from yougov or whoever it was um but there was overwhelming support for 
this, or certainly very, very little disapproval of this. It was like 60 something percent approve of either strongly or mostly this decision uh, to ban Russians and Belarusians and only 15%, 1-5% of people uh, in the in the poll responders were against it, right? So very, very strong numbers there. And that's very different, I will say, than my own Twitter poll I did, which I'll mention here, um, which I obviously my followers are largely people who care about tennis and like tennis had about 13,000 respondents, which is actually like four times as many roughly as the YouGov poll. So it's not nothing. And it had about 28% in favor of the ban and like 71, 72% against it as last I saw. And so people who are tennis fans who know these players as individuals who can pick, as I said, who can pick Aslan Karatsev out of a lineup are going to be much more sympathetic to these players as sort of individual, you know, humans who are being discriminated against to use the, the, the sports bodies as language there, the WTA's language. Is that fair or unfair, you know, to have to, is that overly soft or sympathetic to care, you know, about Andre Rublev or whoever to keep using various names to missing a grand slam versus the, the refugee crisis? I understand it seeming silly or trivial, but also it's just a sort of question of like, how much does unfairness in the world justify more unfairness in the world? You know, how much is, how much are all bets kind of off? in terms of the normal physics of things during during a war. This is, you know, for our lifetimes, and it's not slowing down this war anytime soon. Hopefully it doesn't escalate further beyond the borders of, of Ukraine. Uh, how much, you know, it's just sort of unprecedented times and these call for, for, for new measures. I was interested to find, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet today, this thing that was linked to in a Chris Clary New York Times article about how this had actually happened at Wimbledon before, coming out of World War II. It was a slow process to make eligible again uh players from axis countries uh germans all the way it wasn't until 1951 that a german player that's six years after the war ended uh that a german player again played at uh, wimbledon um and the international tennis federation had not reapproved those countries for davis cup yet and that was sort of they had this whole davis cup eligibility thing for players uh, but no women were playing either i don't believe in that time so there is a history of it and then also i wonder sort of this is where it gets bleak but like what does russia slash not that it wasn't bleak already to be very clear but what do russians and russian players do to regain eligibility if, if imagine let's say they've just become sort of isolated more and more from the sport and other countries sign on to this and other you know tennis bodies sign on to this what will they have to take from russian politics or russian you know military operations or whatever it may be to get them back in good standing right I feel like once you sever them this way, it's going to take some, what, take Putin being deposed or overthrown or, or leaving office or or saying the war was a mistake, my bad guys. Like, wh wh how does it how does it renormalize from here once you've sort of escalated this way and ban them for these reasons? I don't I don't know. I don't know what the what the end game is here. It beats me. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't know either. Um, yeah. And then one other possible downside to this whole move is that I think on a sort of Russian propaganda level or hearts and minds back in Russia and this decision, the war will have to stop because Russia wants it to stop. I do think this sets up a victim narrative for Russian and Belarusian players. They did nothing wrong. They were just trying to do their sport and they're being blocked from it. And I do wonder if that is a potential, you know, backlash or, you know, downside to this. Right. Do you see that too? Yeah. 
I, yeah, and I'd say that probably the the Russian government will use this as as further proof that the the West is just out to get Russia at, at all costs, and you know, are just you know aren't are being even blatant about it, and they'll use that to kind of reinforce the reasons why they're invading, you know, and and you know invading Ukraine and starting a war in the first place, and. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I I have a friend who's very up on the Russian side of this whole conflict, who was telling me that there was talk in Russian media about how some li- some library of some university in Italy had like removed Dostoevsky books from its catalogs in response to the invasion. And my response was like, "That's really effective propaganda if Russians know what's happening at some library in Italy. Like these things just get blown up." Right, like any little bit of making things seem unfair, mistreated, even if it's the contents of a library in some other country, like who cares? It doesn't matter to anybody's life, but if it can get blown up into showing the other side as being irrational or unfair or whatever, or silly, uh, or discriminatory, that can be you know powerful in this sort of war and information and hearts and minds and stuff. And so, yeah, I could see, I could see absolutely the Wimbledon decision being being played that way, uh, Russia side. One thing, one sorry, I, I know if a lot of feelings. I'm just dumping on you here, but one other thing we haven't mentioned is the opinions of the Ukrainian players, yeah. um, who have been very outspoken this whole time. Uh, in yeah. this, two obviously recent former retired ATP players, in Sergei Stakovsky and Alexander Dolgopolov, both got a lot of attention in the media around the world for uh, returning to Ukraine and taking up arms for the cause. They've continued to be outspoken about this. Uh, Svitolina. Marta Kostyuk saying, yeah, that they're fully support this and there should be more and more and Russians shouldn't be allowed to play anywhere and that it's completely unfair to Ukraine to have Russians there. This sounds a bit callous, but like how much Tamani, do you think that the opinions of Ukrainians should be determinative in deciding what happens to, to Russians? Um, I mean, I, I think like just as the, the, the tours are, are kind of clearly have followed up and are supporting the the Russian players. Clearly, they also have to, you know, listen to the Ukrainian players and speak with them and liaise with them and things like that. But I mean, I do think, you know, this is obviously an, a, a hor- horrific time for them. You know, their, their families are still most of their family for most players. Most players mm-hmm. still have family in Ukraine and you know su- suffering through bombing and all of that stuff. And it's an emotional time, but. I mean, some of those statements are just, you know, they're they're just, in in my opinion, they're just not not workable and not, you know, not correct. You know, for for example, um, Svitolina, um, her statement where where she kind of requested that the tours, I mean, essentially interrogate the the players and question the players to determine their. Um, you know their political leanings um, in terms of, you know, what what they think of Putin and you know what 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 have you, and that's obviously, I mean that's I mean as we've kind of discussed that's obviously not really, you know, and if anyone is is against, is is actually against that, then that's that puts them or their families in in harm's way. It's not something that can happen. So, I mean, I, I think clearly that the tours need to to work with them, but. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I you know, a, a plenty, plenty of what they're saying, in my opinion, mm-hmm. isn't really workable. No, I think, I think, obviously, you know, 
I don't think it. Sh- I think they should be listened to. And obviously, Ukraine is experiencing this in a profoundly more direct way than any of the rest of us. They have families there. It's their yeah. home. They're all their towns. And this is such a total war that's happening there um, in terms of pretty much every, almost nowhere in the country being spared from it on some level. Um, yeah, they have uh, it's, their feelings are completely understandable and 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 valid and and fair. Yeah, but it's not. I don't think they can either. You say like, oh, we just have to listen to them. But on a fairness level, they shouldn't get to be judge and jury on this either. But clearly, at the same time, as we said, the international community has rallied completely around Ukraine. And you know, even you look at like I was looking at the ATP website the other day for the statement, and they have a little you know Ukrainian flag ribbon next to their logo. Like it's clear where their their loyalties and chips lie in this conflict. In this conflict, as it is with everyone. I mean, Indian Wells flying a massive Ukrainian flag over the main stadium. Uh, there was very striking visual and it was also really windy and so it was a loud flag too it's a really noisy flag um so you could hear this ukrainian flag blowing in the wind a lot of times during matches so it's just it's all just it's all just unfortunate and terrible and it just is profoundly not pleasant to have this this war going on and affecting affecting everything you know in the world in a lot of ways even if it is still confined to the borders of one country one significant country a pretty big country in most contexts, but still it's, it could have ramping impacts and sort of pierces a lot of the sort of bubble of sports. And one thing, Andrei Rublev is the sort of only top Russian player who's really been asked about this so far. Um, he was in playing in Belgrade this this week, and he said in his answer, which is posted on Twitter by Anna Mitrich, saying, well, in part, the part I'm going to get to um, is he says, first of all, I'm not political. I don't know anything. I'm not reading the news. I'm not following because I was working hard to play tennis and that's my job. I have no education. So I will try to explain how I feel. No, but it, <laughs> it's, it's true. And honestly, that's a, a common thread with a lot of, not all, because I think a lot of these tennis players from all countries are not, you know, political people. And I, it was crazy to me at Indy Wells this year when Daniel Medvedev was getting asked questions like, when will the Russians rise up and overthrow Putin? Like, he, this man is not a diplomat, Daniil Medvedev. He's not a government official. And I understand that he's a public, prominent Russian, number one in the world in that point, in a prominent sport. And that gives him, you know, heft on a, on a political stage. And it does make his words have meaning in this sort of moment. But also, he did nothing to qualify himself to answer this question besides hitting a tennis ball well. You know, and that should not be something that elevates him to this status. At the same time, I hear Rublev's statement of saying, I'm not political, I don't know anything, and think... You might not be educated on that or engaged in politics, but everything in the world is political on some level. And we're learning that more and more in even yeah. our own beats as being tennis journalists in the past year. And the number of stories we've had to cover that are really just geopolitics stories that happen to take place in tennis is crazy. Between China, between Novak Djokovic and versus Australia, between now this whole war. Like, this is an all-front sort of thing, and... Andrew Rublev and everybody, me and you included, we're all, you know, political. Everything in the world is political. I, I, I sort of take that as a as a truth on a lot of levels. And certainly in this international yep. sport yep. Um, that's so public and so front-facing. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everything is yeah. political. Men and women, tennis. everything about it. I mean, yeah, I, I don't necessarily, I don't think that, you know, I don't, the argument um, that I don't, read I don't read anything I don't I plunge my head in the sand is not it's not really the best you know (laughs) defense from Rublev but I don't know it's just interesting just the fact that this has happened nearly two months into the war and you know 
over the past two months, we've the tour has gone from from the Middle East to the States to now Europe, and most of the Russian players seem to have seem to understand that you know it it doesn't you know what they most of the Russian players have not said a word you know it hasn't nothing has happened you know so far you know there hasn't been any kind of significant event um and so you know part of the, of it, part of the kind of reasoning for this from the uk sports ministers was you know as, as i mentioned before that they the notion of they didn't want russia's russian players flying the flag at wimbledon and aside from the kind of the prospect of of a russian player winning the tournament probably probably not much would happen you know it's not I, I I don't see some big you know protest or you know I, I think after a couple of months we've kind of seen that most of them just want, want yeah to but maybe that sort of you know normalization is something that even Britain was anathema to maybe they yeah. they don't want to have people there you know applauding a great shot by insert name of Russian, who have I not named it? Daria Kasakina hits a great shot and people are applauding and somehow they think that's, you know, hurting Ukrainian morale or, you know, the war effort or something. Who knows? I mean, that's a, you know, those are, I guess, the calculations they make. And again, it's these are unprecedented times within our tennis consciousness of this sort of war. And obviously we know it would not have seemed strange in retrospect, right? If we had heard that, you know, people from Nazi Germany had been banned from playing Wimbledon in the late thirties. That would have made sense. Right. If you think about it historically, that would be like, okay, that doesn't sound wrong to me per se. Um, and so in the context of wider history and when it's happening in this moment, um, yeah, I mean, maybe that, maybe this is all going to age really well. And this is the right decision. And that's just a question of if this is, again, it sort of goes to where it goes next and so many unknowns, but I am still, my mind does race to these places. If it does become a more total ban, um, if Wimbledon is not out, if this is one moment in time, if it's just this one, you know, part of the season, this, you know, th- basically three, four week period of, of British grass tournaments that are off the board for Russia, like, you know, the players will miss that, be unhappy about it, but survive. Maybe the tours can do some sort of small measure. I was thinking one thing that might be like a, a sort of relatively unobtrusive fix is if like the tours, for example, freeze ranking points from effective affected players earned at Wimbledon last year. Like if Sabalaki gets to keep her semifinal points for another, you know, year, essentially, maybe that would be some sort of way mm-hmm. to, to fix it without, without doing the other thing they could do, which is, you know, revoke all ranking points in the 2022 tournament, which is on the table. I'm sure as a repercussion for Wimbledon, because this, this, this yeah, and yeah, again, that just goes yeah. to the yeah. point of it's crazy to think of Wimbledon being, you know, in a standoff, and getting sanctions from the from the tours, it's, it's yeah. especially with how incestuous, honestly, a lot of the governing bodies are becoming increasingly with London offices and everything being based there, and it's just all sort of all tied up in each other. And lots of people have worked from multiple branches of this these things. Like, uh, yeah, that's that's a, a wild thing to think of that being where the sort of fract- fractiousness happens all within these various London, uh, you know, very white shoe kind of places. So, yeah, but then we'll see maybe. If it, if it keeps going on and this is a longer thing and Russians are banned forever, maybe there is aven- maybe there are avenues for Russians to, you know, defect, which obviously used to happen a bunch more in the Cold War days of players who had their careers restricted for various reasons uh, leaving. And there's, you know, plenty of plausible countries if they wanted to that 
a lot of these affected players could pretty seamlessly, at least in terms of Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan is one of them for sure. <laughs> no, Kazakhstan has been, you know, yeah, <laughs> I saw that, that, that's the I saw something posted a picture of Bublik saying this guy's been playing five dimensional chess all along, <laughs> you know, yeah. going out and getting um, the Kazakh yeah. passport uh, and yeah, getting we, cash we, and prizes from Kazakhstan. That's a real possibility. That there, there will be Russian players at Wimbledon. They'll just have a, a Kazakhstan flag next to them. Oh, absolutely. And so maybe there's going to be more moving to Kazakhstan. Maybe there's other countries that players can choose. Like, I'm thinking, I wrote this, this letter I wrote, but like, you know, uh, Medvedev and Pavlyuchenkova both have lived in France and speak fluent French. Like, if they both switch to being, you know, those names in FRA next to them, that would not be the, you know, craziest thing in the world knowing those people, at least, you know, it's times we've seen nationality in tennis be very fluid and often very transactional, right? Azarenka has lived in the U.S. most of her life. You know, she had her son here. She, she's based in various, she lived in various different parts of the U.S. all over. Uh, Sabalenka, I think, also is residing in Miami or has for a long time, or at least, you know, has a base there. Was listed as a residence at some point, back when they used to list residences, which they don't anymore. You know, there are these sort of, you know, if players want to go elsewhere to, for their careers, they'll have the option. But then, yes, then it gets to sort of like, is there risk to that? Is there going to be seen as traitors back home? I don't know. But I would imagine there would be sympathy for them if it's what they have to do to, to maintain their tennis careers. Well, one, one, I mean, one interesting thing is that um, obviously the, the and one of the, another of tennis's um, the actions was to, to cancel the Kremlin Cup tournament and I believe um, the Russian kind of federation have said that they 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 will attempt to to can put on the Kremlin Cup in Russia, you know, as a Russian tournament. And I'm, you know, assuming they aren't able to compete at Wimbledon. Well, I do wonder if Russian players might choose decide to compete in Russia in a in a in a Russian tournament, you know, instead of kind of <laughs> Russia. Uh, Russia will whip up some grass courts and hold their own Wimbledon. Honestly, well, not, not, not a not a tournament, but just even, I mean, particularly you know, as you, you mentioned, like if if other tournaments follow suit, if they might go and compete at, at certain events in Russia, and I, but I think that would be that would be probably that would hurt their cause on the world stage longer. Yes, I think if they, yes, if they, if they, I mean, if they yeah. sort of flock back to Russia, I yeah. agree. Yeah, that seems right. That, I that mean, would, like you know, I mean, we said we have this with I've wondered that with with China too. Like, will China? Like, will the China Open, for example, which has been a combined ATV-WTA event, will there be some sort of non-sanctioned women's tournament, just for, even just for Chinese players, held alongside the ATP event there this year? As ATP is still planning on their schedules, and you can see from all of Riley Opelka's various profile pictures on Twitter, ATP is very much still planning on being in China this year for all intents and purposes until proven up, until announced otherwise. So, um, yeah, there is a, a ton of fractiousness in the sport. I, you know, I guess you saw this graphic that was on... Alex Gruskin tweeted of the sort of chart of, uh, you know, tournaments that are who, which bodies are are playing ball in China, which ones are allowing Russians. You got a, another column there of which ones are allowing Djokovic to play currently, which is like a basically like three of the seven are not WTA. He can't really play for obvious reasons, but yeah, I mean, it's all just sort of it's it's incredibly fractious in this sort of very hollow trumpeted moment of we're having the same you know thing happen at six all in the final set now, hooray! Like. That's such small potatoes compared to these much bigger world decisions. Yeah, so I, I could talk about this a lot more. Like I said, I'm still I can still understand both sides of this issue. I do think I guess I will say I do think this is a decision that in world history will not age poorly. 
I mean, I think, I think I feel that way that in the big picture of things, and again, we are so close up to tennis. We know these people we, we interact with and have good relationships with lots of these Russian players. Some of them have been on this podcast before, like I have nothing against them individually and feel for them in this moment. But also I do think that like in this war time, which I have to again, recalibrate too. And I also hear from, I heard from a British reporter in Miami, he was struck by how far more out of sight, out of mind, the war felt stateside than it does in Europe right now. Um, Cause it's not a, it's a European war that's happening right now. Um, yeah. Maybe it'll, it'll all feel more reasonable then. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just all just, it all just sucks. I don't enjoy any of this on any level. And I wish this war was not happening. And I wish that they would, you know, pull out and go home and apologize and think about what they did. But I also, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it just sucks. The world sucks, then. The world sucks. I mean, writ large, often, yes. But I'm more, <laughs> I'm going to focus on the, on the war for this, for this particular moment. Yeah. This, this war is, is, yeah. No one, no one's really into this, in this war. And it's, it's just all pointless and destructive. And yeah. In, in, in the, in the big picture, like I said, the 5 million refugees fleeing Ukraine collateral damage quote-unquote of having a pro athlete not be able to play Wimbledon is minuscule and yeah. I do think that should be kept yeah. in context of this but also just like I yeah. just don't know that this actually makes a difference to anything either way so unfairness for the sake of unfairness or to respond to unfairness it's just all it's just it's just shitty I don't like it I don't like any of it but I like you Tommy Tumani Carriol NCR's famous up here in Africa correspondent. Thank you for being on here. Anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap up? Uh, I think we've I think we've talked long enough. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be there'll be more. There'll be oh. this is only like the beginning, right? So yeah. see see yeah. you soon. Front. <laughs> I mean that's that's a real thing. You know, I do think that it's going to be to use an understatement awkward to have Russian players at the French open or any tournament really at this point and be like, Hey, so you know that like, you're going to like not be here in a couple months when the tour goes on and it will, it, you know, I think the French open has a decision to make now and the French government, like how do they respond in this moment of their election? Gosh, too. Like this is whole, you know, all of this is very overshadowed, you know, in Australia and in uh, France, certainly with, with being election years in both countries, how these crises, play out or how these controversies play out um i wouldn't call it joke it's a crisis it wasn't that level wasn't that deep but uh it's certainly a controversy uh how they're all used as political footballs it's messy but thank you to money see you. you in europe soon yeah i look forward to you coming coming back Bye, folks. You saw those teeth marks. They weren't all yours. You had been thrust into a history. Had not worked for me into a history. From which I could not flee. So go on, shake me. Shake until I give it up. Well, I'm a down, baby. I know that we can make some love. So go and challenge me. Take the reins and see. Watch me squirm, baby. But you are just what I need. And I have never played. I've always had the upper hand But what good is intellect and their play If I can't respect any man Yeah, I want to play